Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today's Monday. It is August the 22nd, 2016. Today we're reading from the big book, and we're continuing in Chapter 7, Working with Others. Today we'll be on page 92. We're going to begin reading for context that first paragraph and then continue reading second paragraph and um, our shares and comments will be focused on that paragraph. Today's readers for the 12-08 steps will be Esther F. and for the 12 traditions, Lois M. And our readers for the text today will be Chelsea H. and Santa H. Now, the reference number for Sunday, yesterday, August the 21st, 2016, for our special edition meeting at 8.30 is 9011. That's 9011. And that was a special edition on Laurie C., focusing on Step 4, entitled How to Do Step 4 Within Weeks, the Big Book Way. So the OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's This is our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of 12 steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to please read OA's 12 Steps. Good morning. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. And thank you, Esther F. I will now ask uh, Lois M. to please read the 12 OA traditions. Good, good morning, Janice. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois M. in Massachusetts, recovered. Um, happy to be of service. The 12 traditions of OA. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, a loving God as he may express um, himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AAOA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should should be uh, autonomous, except in, um, excuse me, in <laughs> affecting uh, other groups, our AA as a whole. Just a second. Five, each group has but one, author- one primary purpose, to carry this message to compulsive overeaters who still suffer. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance or, or lend uh, the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of many, excuse me, unless problems of many, money, property, and prestige divide us from our primary purpose, excuse me. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. Our service centers may employ special workers outside. Nine, OA as a whole ought never be organized, but we may, we may, sorry, create service boards or committees directly responsible to those who serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be, never be used in public controversy. Eleven, our p- public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal a- on autonomy at the level of press, radio, or films. Twelve, anonymity is a, is a special spiritual foundation of all our traditions. 
even remaining, even reminding us to place principles above personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Now to share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Well, today we resume our study in the big book, and we're going to begin on page 92, uh, paragraph one, read for context, and we're going to comment um, on paragraph I'm sorry, paragraph one, we're going to read for context, and paragraph two, we'll focus our comments. And will Chelsea H., please begin reading. Good morning, Janice. Thanks for your service. Chelsea H., I'm a recovered compulsive eater for today. If you're satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding the first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. Don't at this stage refer to this book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can if he is not too alcoholic, but insists that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the condition of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain to many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is an alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. 
Okay, I'm Chelsea still, covered, living in the solution one day at a time. Okay, so I go back here to where it tells me to continue to speak about the illness as a fatal malady, and my instructions are to continue to um, explain that the condition of the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind that accompanies it and what happened. Talk about my stories of my eating, explaining so that they can identify in with what I'm talking about. My experience with the mental twist and the whole idea of running back and forth to fast food joints, sitting in dark parking lots, eating and crying, and go, go through a, a laundry list of things that I did while I was still in the problem and the fatality of it. Talk about how the doctor was telling me I'm about to lose a limb if I don't start getting my, eat, my weight down. Talk about how I could hardly walk and my knees were buckling, and yet and still, here I was, ordering up buckets of fried chicken and cups of gravy to wash it down with. And it says here also to explain, keep his attention. There's directions here. There's actions that I need to take. Keep his attention focused. Explain that he's doomed and that they, many didn't realize their predicament. And I'm also to continue to talk about it and to explain to them up to this point the problem. Keep them in the problem so that way they can see the hopelessness of it. All these things I need to share with them because I'm offering a solution. It says here that the doctors are loath to tell the patient the whole story unless it would serve a good purpose. Well, my doctor told me many times, <laughs> you know, you're, you're on your way out. You're eating yourself slowly but surely to death. And that was only enough to send me to another eatery on the way home from the visit because I was so rattled. I'll share that. And I may even ask while I'm talking with them. I don't know about you, but when I, do, when I'm, when I was active in my disease, a, B, C, and D. I don't know about you, but when this was when I was living in the problem, and go on and on with constantly keeping them focused on my own personal experience. So then it goes on to tell me that um, over here on page ninety-three at the top, tell them exactly what happened to me. What exactly happened? I'm not going to be um, giving out any conjecture or anything. And then the own conception of the source greater than themselves. If they're agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that they do not have to believe in anything. It's okay as long as you realize you're not whatever this power is. That's the main thing, is that I'd be willing to believe in a power greater than myself. And it's a conjunction there. There are two things happening. And live by spiritual principles. So those are the things that I must do. And the person gets to choose their own. I'm not here to proselytize or try to convince anybody that they're supposed to be doing a, um, understanding this program, spiritual part. The spiritual part are the steps. So if I explain to them about the steps and keep it to the fact that the gift that the steps have given me, the freedom to where now I can be at a function where there's fried chicken and all these other great savory items that I loved, and no hand-wringing. I'm not going, you know, the freedom that I um, got from the program of recovery, and I can explain that to them without proselytizing. And mainly, I think, and I'll wrap with this, the most important thing that I'm learning is that my behavior reflects what I believe, and that if I demonstrate it with integrity and act on the willingness to carry that message with integrity, it seems to be able to be transmitted in a much more authentic way if I'm authentic, and I don't have to proselytize or convince anybody. Thanks a lot for letting me share. With that, I pass.
<clears throat> and thank you, Chelsea. Okay, now who would like to comment on this second paragraph on page 92? Kim G? Kim G. Anybody else? Lauren S. Lauren S. Anyone else? Amy G. Oh. Is it Amy? Amy G. Yep. Okay, yeah, Amy, and, and anybody else? All right, Monday morning. I thought we'd be bombed here. Okay, Kim G., it is your turn. Please go ahead. Me too, Janice. I was expecting <laughs> to have to shout from the Raptors to share on this. Um, good morning, everyone. Happy Monday morning, everyone. Um, I love the way that, that Chelsea described that, because I have to tell you, that it was so different than the way that I was approached the way that I even gave beginners meetings for many years in OA. This is telling us how to approach those newcomers and those people coming back from relapse. Maybe it's somebody on this line this morning that binged their way through the weekend and is thinking the summer's almost over. I better be doing something about this. So it's saying fatal malady, conditions of body and mind, that they're doomed, that they're hopeless. I mean, that sounds, why would you do that to somebody? That sounds kind of mean. But that's what the book is telling us. Someone's not going to be receptive to our solution unless they understand the problem. So I'm being instructed all the way that we've been talking since 89 is to talk problem, problem, problem. And why is that not cool? Because I offer a solution. This big book offers a solution to that. So what I'm doing is I'm utilizing my story, which I thought was my biggest you know, uh, defect, and now it's becoming my biggest asset because I can save lives through my story. And I'm talking about the allergy. For me, I talk a lot about babysitting. You know, I didn't pick my jobs by what the kids were like. I picked it by what their pantry was like. And I would get those kids to sleep, and I would have three Oreos, and I'd try to sit down and watch TV, and I'd go back for three Oreos, and I would decide to watch TV, and I would go back for three more, until finally the whole bag was gone, and I'm sticking the bag in my car because I don't want to put that in their trash for them to know what I did. But even the larger aspect is when I am able to white knuckle, when I'm able to get some, some days together, maybe I even get a 30-day coin in Overeaters Anonymous, I get so uncomfortable. I get restless. I get irritable. I get discontent. And that mental torture is overwhelming. It's like I call it straw vision. It's like I have peripheral vision around what's going on in my day, and my mind locks in on the idea that I need food to celebrate, to get me out of the bad mood I'm in, whatever that excuse is, and it's suddenly I'm looking through a straw and I don't see the world. All I can see is i got to get to that food. i got to get to that food. And I'm white-knuckling it one day at a time, torturously, before Overeaters Anonymous, and for me, for many years, in Overeaters Anonymous. So then I start to talk about my 10-step promises, you know, the fact that I don't white-knuckle it, you know, that I have neutrality, that I'm safe and protected, that I'm cease-fighting anything or anyone, and it's like the obsession's been removed. I'm not cocky or afraid, which is how I spent decades in Overeaters Anonymous. And it's only when they ask, well, how did you escape, that I go in and I tell them specifically what happened to me. And I express the spiritual freedom, the spiritual feature freely. But until they ask, I stay in the problem, the problem, the problem. What a different approach than I, when I had the first 17 years in OA and how that led me to the absolute freedom I've experienced for five and a half years. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Kim G. Okay, Lauren S., it is your turn. Okay. Lauren S., 
a recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> okay, newcomers. So, yeah, addict, my addiction is fatal. So I need to work this program like my life depends on it. And I know as I'm talking to these people that when I want to compulsively eat and use food as my solution, doesn't matter what it is, it doesn't matter what the food is. Stop thinking about what it is. When I'm using food in general, in general as my solution and nothing else, I want to die in my mind. And it's different, I tell these newcomers and sufferers, than just, than just snacking on something, than just picking something up. It's different. It's when I know in my heart this is leading into my disease. Um, you know, keep your keep your attention focused on your personal experience. I often talk about things that I noticed, like this weekend around people who don't suffer from the same malady, um, people who actually get away with compulsive eating, who compulsively just eat dessert or eat a piece of pizza because it's not for nutrition, it's not necessary, they just compulsively eat it because it looks good and their mind stays clear so i talk about you know i can't get away with compulsively eating food when i pick up that same food my my everything about my reality changes it warps and i really really stress the mental obsession i stress how even in overeaters anonymous I, I would stress how I still would obsess about what to eat and what's my food plan. And I said, I came in because I wanted to be free of that. And I said, I work these steps in the big book. And today, and again, I stress a spiritual feature. I ask God about what to eat, all my problems. I said, I'm free of that. I no longer obsess and try to control what I eat. And what other people do with their food, I say, it's none of my business. I say, I'm recovered from that obsession to try to think and think and think and think about food all the time and talk about food all the time. Because that, I tell these newcomers, that's the greater part of my disease. We keep wanting to talk about the food, even in program. It's obsession. It takes over. It's not helping the new guy. So spiritual feature, I do, I do tend to say higher power instead of God. Um, or if I do mention the word God, I do say you can you can you can call whatever your higher power you like, and uh, oops, there it is. And I just tell the new guy, listen, I'm recovered. You're you're going to be okay if you do what I do. There's a solution here. You don't have to suffer anymore and think about food obsessively. All right, thanks, help us. And <clears throat> pardon me, thank you, Laroness. Amy G, if you're up. Can you hear me? I can hear you well. Oh, great. Good morning, Yes, My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thanks, everyone. And thank you for your service, Janice. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I first started sponsoring, this is a, you know, this is a chapter working with others and how we sponsor and how we help others and carry the message. It was intimidating. And my sponsor would say to me, continue to focus on your experience. And, and what I realized is that it didn't have to be an award-winning um, speaker, 
I didn't have to be smart. and have, All I had to do was just share my experience. And that I could do. As Kim had said, I could get specific examples of the powerlessness and the nature, the fatal nature of the malady. And, you know, when it says things are in italics, you know, we pay attention. Tell him exactly what happened to you. And what needs to be smashed home again and again, why we're constantly, every paragraph we're reading, it's not even saying don't show them the book, don't talk about the solution yet, is because what has to be smashed home or what had to be smashed home to me was my personal powerlessness and that my willpower alone would not cure me of what I was learning to be a disease, a physical allergy and a mental obsession. It had to be smashed home again and again and again. Why? Because if we go down to more of the italics, it's going to say here to be able to live by spiritual principles, to do something different, to act differently, to learn. I had to know that there was no other way. I had to know that I was backed into a corner and that of myself I was going to die of this disease if I didn't try something different. If I stopped believing, I had to stop believing in myself. I'm going to have to throw out old ideas. I'm going to have to work these steps. And trust me, it talks about it in step one in the 12 and 12. I don't have it in front of me, but you can go there and read it. It says, who wants to do this? Who wants to work all these 12 steps? Who wants to go make amends? Who wants to do a personal inventory? If you had told me that my first day talking to me about that approach program, I would have been, see ya. I would not have stayed. If you had told me I had to believe in God, your God, I would not have stayed. What I had to have drilled home to me was those 15 questions in Overeaters Anonymous pamphlet that says, are you a composable reader? And then having to understand what that truly meant for me by listening to others' experiences, by identifying in and then realizing, oh my gosh, is this me? Is this me? Do I need to do what it is these people are telling me is here? And then I needed to hear what the solution was. But I had to know I was desperate, dying, and doomed, and I had to know that into my gut, that I had no other way to go. Otherwise, there was no way I was going to do these. And that's why they're smashing it home here again and again, paragraph to paragraph. I can't naturally assume that just because a person comes to an overeaters anonymous meeting, one, that they understand the disease, or two, that they're willing to go to any length. And those are the kind of people we need to be working with, those that are willing to go to any length that understand that we are absolutely powerless, or at least willing to believe in something outside of themselves. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you so much, Amy G. Okay, now who else would like to uh, Chris, comment? Chrissy G. Chrissy G. Next. Anyone else? Shannon S. Shannon S. Okay, Shannon. Anyone else? Leah M. Leah M. And I think I heard somebody G. Monica T. Oh, that was close, huh, Monica? Monica (laughs) T. Okay, let's start with Chrissy G. Hi, I'm Chrissy G., recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. When 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 I was listening to the reading of this paragraph, I was picturing like I see in TV when the doctor comes to tell the family, you know, what the prognosis is after an operation and it's, they're all so serious and the doctor's so so serious and he tells that, you know, they're not going to make it or it's terminal. You know, I, that's exactly what I'm picturing this being like that. It's that serious. It's a, you know, a fatal malady. It, it, that's like poetic words. When I think of terminal illness that's like 
those words are are more um, poignant for me because it it's just common language that that I hear about disease. It's it's deadly. It's a deadly disease. I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. That's exactly what this disease is. It's it's a terminal illness. But there's there's one solution, and it's it's like, are you willing to go to any length to get it? And some people aren't. You know, the, the any length is you have to let go, like it says, let go of all your old ideas and to live by spiritual principles. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of people that be willing to do that unless they were convinced, without a doubt, that to not do so would be to eventually die or go crazy or both. And and that takes a lot of that takes a lot of pain. I mean, the, you know, in the in the big in the twelve and twelve in the step one, it talks about you know raising raising the the um, raising people up to be able to see that they're alcoholics before they sink down lower than some of us have, have sunk down. And I think that's that's great. You know, that's what one of the, the paragraphs before this paragraph is talking about, like planting the seeds. But I think it's it's very, very difficult for people to get their minds around that unless maybe they've experienced in their families examples where people's uh you know, people's compulsions have killed them, which which I I did witness as a as a young person, and that's probably why I was able to come into the program so young. But um, we have our our work cut out for us in order to really convince people that haven't been through a lot of pain that this is a terminal illness. Um, that with that, I pass. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy G. Shannon S. Your turn. Hi, guys. This is Shannon F. from Duluth, Minnesota. Grateful to hear some things that have really opened my eyes this morning on the previous shares. So we focus on the nature of our malady at this particular point where we're reaching out to people. Um, Because if I focus on, oh, my God, the program and the steps were so hard, it was I had these emotional withdrawals going on and I was craving the food while I was doing the steps, early, earlier part of the steps. Well, chances are they're probably not going to be that attracted to actually doing the steps. Um, but if I can get them something to relate to, such as when our one of our program literature pamphlets focuses on the commonalities rather than the differences. So what is my commonality to that person's story? The fact that all I thought about was when is the next lunchtime? Um, How can I count down more minutes until I can get to the next meal on my meal plan? Um, And now also, like, when when was the next convenience store that I could head up? Um, Those are things to really focus on. It, It gives them a sense of security and comfort to allow them to really identify with us. Um, I always had this like fear that if I told them exactly what the program looks like once they're in, that they're going to want to run away. Well, they, that, there definitely can be some truth to that because we really want to focus on this point with where they're able to comprehend and um, emotionally absorb is really allowing us to share 
the amount of misery that we were in, the amount of emotional jails that we were in, um, and to say, yes, I was there too. I can totally relate to what you're talking about. And now I walk a free man, or now I don't have that concerns. It's like the short before and after testimonial picture. You know, if you were to look at a testimonial picture of before, during, and after, they're going to focus on the during and think, oh, I'm not able to do that. Um, so really focusing on the before and then the after and how the solution does work and keep it simple can really help them see that this program is definitely worth doing and open up just enough to God to let them um, be on their journey to get going. Um, but I, I just really take into account how wise these authors were of this book, channeling the messages of how to reach out to people efficiently versus having a load of verbal diarrhea all over these people. What are um, everything about the program is how to do it efficiently and in a simple way. Share from your experience and what what is it like now so they can see that spark of hope so that candle can be lit in their soul to go forward so if they choose to with their higher power. So thank you for teaching me so much today, guys. I really appreciate your wisdom. With that, I pass. Shannon F. from Duluth. Thank you, Shannon S. Okay, Leah M., it's your turn. Thank you. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. You know, this was a hard lesson that was learned by Bill's, you know, own early work uh, trying to carry the message. He would, you know, pull guys off bar stools by their shirt collars and start talking spirituality um, and God. Um, and it was actually Dr. Silkworth that said, you know, Bill, you've got, you're putting the cart before the horse, the spiritual before the medical. Scare off the prospects, not through spirituality, scare them through the exact nature of their illness. That's what you're going to talk about. And that's what we do when we tell our stories. We aim to produce a crisis by the relating the seriousness of my own experience. It's kind of like slowly turning the screws. Um, because I, I know from my experience, when I first showed up in OA, I didn't understand the grave nature of my illness. I didn't understand the depths to which this addiction would take me, its progression, even in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't understand the exact nature of my problem. So, you know, when talking to a prospect, you know, I just <laughs> kind of, you know, tell them, I don't know how you ate. I'm going to tell you how I compulsively overate. When I ate my binge foods, I could not control the amount of binge foods I ate. Something happened to me when I put binge foods into my body, certain substances in my body. I developed an insatiable appetite in my body for more binge foods. It always intensified. It never satisfied. And once I started eating, I had little or no control. And for a long, 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 time. I loved it. I loved binging. I would go and buy all my binge foods and I would sit in my car in a dark parking lot and I would binge my brains out because it was soothing. It was comforting. I just could numb out. You know, but there came a time where I did not want to be depressed 
and miserable and overweight. You know, they say that dying is the greatest loss, but I don't know about you, but sometimes the greatest loss is dying inside while you're still alive. So there came a point when I said, that's it. I've had enough. I do not want to do this anymore. Plug in the jug, cellophane bags in the trash. You know, (laughs) I'm going to be happy. Everybody's going to be happy. But it happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. All of a sudden, I would change my mind. And taking a bite of those binge foods seemed like the best idea I had had in a long time. And that process kept happening over and over and over and over and over. And the disease wore me out. It wore my body out. It wore my mind out. I was bankrupt spiritually. I just, I just couldn't take it anymore. You know, thank God for the program of recovery. When I was ready to say I had enough, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. The program of recovery, I'm happy to announce, I have not changed my mind in over 29 years, and that's a miracle. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Leah. And Monica T., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Monica T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater presently in Vermont. And I am going to piggyback on what Leah just said. She is just so wonderfully said about the powerlessness, the hopelessness of our disease doing the same thing over and over and over again, and I could never do anything about it. As much as I wanted to, as much strength I had, as much willpower as I had, I was totally, totally powerless. So that's my problem. I have a lack of power when it comes to this disease. So tell them exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual freedom feature freely. Okay, so what happened? I was told by recovered compulsive overeaters, I'm told by the first 100 that wrote this wonderful book, that there is a power that's greater than you out there that can solve your problem. And that they're calling this power God because I can't do it, but there's a power out there. We've tapped this power and I can change your life. And then it says... If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. And I, too, use the word God, but I will start out with higher power. You know, a lot of us have a lot of issues with this God thing. So very early on, say, you don't have to agree with anybody's conception. Come up with your own. What do you need from God right now? Call, give them a name, your own name, whatever you feel comfortable with. Whatever your conception is, it's enough. You don't have to understand this. You don't have to have this all figured out. And it's something that will grow as you're doing the steps. But there is a power. But you've got to understand that you are powerless. You know, I couldn't do it. For four decades I tried. I couldn't do it. But when I decided... I wanted what others had and to start working these steps and start tapping into this God thing, this power. I didn't know. I couldn't see. I couldn't feel. And I wasn't too sure about any of it. But I wanted what they had. And as a result, it's a process learning about this power. You know, in the the beginning, it's like, okay, Monica, the first day I hit my head, hit the pillow that night, and I had been abstinent all day long. Now, had I done that? No, 
a power greater than me was working with me because I was willing to take some actions. And, and you know, and I have to stop and think about that. Oh, I didn't do this. I couldn't do it. I couldn't even get a couple hours together. And I did a whole day. Wow, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap into this. I'm going to keep working at this. And with that, I pass. It made a difference in my life, and it can for you, too. And with that, I pass. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Monica T. Okay. Who else would like to um, comment on this second paragraph, page 92? Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Good morning. Bas- Anyone? Bassa O. Got it, Bassa. Beat you to it. Carolyn S.H. Carolyn S.H. Next. Anybody else? All right. We'll go with those three. Katie G., it is your turn. Good morning, Janice. May I be heard? You can. Yes. Awesome. Starting my timer, KDG recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, calling in from Boston this morning and just blessed, right? Like blessed fact of my absence this morning, um, Monday morning. I knew where I was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, um, and I know what I ate. I know um, that I didn't act out this weekend. Um, I didn't uh, commit homicide or suicide because of these blessed steps, and um you know, guys, um, I spent a lot of time, um, and I can still, if I'm operating from a place of not feeling good enough, I can lecture and moralize. And today, um, the reason I always say, like, walking shoulder to shoulder is um, I need to remember I'm not better than any of you, and I'm not worse than any of you. But one thing I am an expert in is my own failures. And um, one of the things I just <clears throat> want to share about is, um, my own failures in the area of um, exercise addiction and trying to control this disease, right? Like, gosh, I did the steps, right? I did the steps eight years ago. I should be sitting here saying I've been abstinent for 12 years. The thing is, like, even working the steps, I don't get to the other side and then arrive. I'm recovered, and it's only as our teachers remind us for today, recovered for today, and with exercise, um, you know, God blessed me with perfection. He blessed me with relationships, and um, because of the lies of this disease based on fear, right, I have a fear of being inferior, and um, I came into these, excuse me, I stayed in these rooms sharing as a recovered woman, um, leaving my work, leaving my work unpaid while on the time clock to go exercise. Because as so many of of our beautiful teachers have reminded us this morning, it is an obsession of the mind. It is a problem in my mind telling me it's okay. And like so many other people have captured that magic feeling, I'm going to be okay. This, you know what might be going on, but my magic happier, right, is this idea that for a while it was that I'm going to go home and I'm going to binge my brains out. And then it was, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get on the scale a hundred times until it does what I need. And then it was, I'm going to stay at work and I'm going to leave work while being paid and I'm going to exercise my brains out. And the problem is I couldn't, I couldn't tell anybody because once I started, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to humble myself enough to ask for help. And when I finally did, I was desperate, I was dying and I was freaking doomed, guys. 
you know, and um, today I walk shoulder to shoulder with all of you one day at a time. And um, if you can relate to that, that powerlessness and unmanageability, you know, it's just a, a different manifestation of the same crazy thinking. And, um, Okay, um, just in time. Okay, Vasa, Vasa, oh, it's your turn. It's my turn, Janice. It's Vasa. It is. Thank you. Thank you for your service and good morning, everyone. I am grateful, recovered, compulsive Ovita calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And I'm just so grateful to my sponsor, how she shared her own experience with me about a week before I came to my first meeting, you know. And she shared about her helplessness and her powerlessness over the disease. And I, I could relate, you know, and I was. She had some recovery, and she gave me hope. You know, she said, you don't have to be living like that. There is hope. And the solution is right here in the big book, you know. And did, she did stress to me, though, you know, you need to find a power greater than yourself, you know, to help you. And I remember thinking, I was terrified. You know, I was really terrified of God. I was terrified to surrender. But I was, you know, I was so desperate and I was just so willing and ready. I said, you know, I'm dying anyways. So might as well take a risk, take a chance. And surrender, you know. And I did do it. I was afraid. I was terrified. I did. I really did. 150% with the food addiction, you know. And gradually with my life and my will. And something is unmuted. Somebody's unmuted. Please press that one to mute. It's kind of distractive. But uh, again, and this is what I do myself, you know. I share by my my powerlessness and my and unmanageable. Star one to unmute. I am sorry. I have been. That's all right. Go ahead, dear. Oh, I'm so sorry, Janice. No problem. Did you hear any of it? Oh, sure. But when we heard a lot of the noise, then we had to go back to star one to unmute. I don't know where I stopped. So I don't know where I left off. But anyways, um, I'm kind of, you know, I got. Um, my mind is off now. But anyways, um, I share my own experience and strength. I try not to overwhelm my, and the newcomer. I just say, come to the first, you know, few meetings and see if it's for you. And my sponsor always uh, uh, said to me, just be open-minded and just take one day at a time. And once I surrender with the food, it was just amazing. The next day, you know, yes, the food was calling me, but I kept on asking God. She said, fake it till you get it. Get on your knees. Ask God to help you. And that's what I did. I did what she told me to do. Got on my knees, got from that meal, from the morning meal to the next. If I wanted to eat in between, get on my knees. Get, ask God. Pick up the phone. Call people. Uh, read the literature. So I did whatever it took not to go back into the food. Thank you, and I passed. Well, thank you so much, Vasa. Oh, okay, Carolyn S.H., it's her, your turn. 
Thank you, Janice. Um, good morning, everybody. Carolyn S.H., uh, grateful, recovered, compulsive eater from Massachusetts. Um, whoops, cutting my timer. Um, and uh, this paragraph is a pivotal paragraph in the process of uh, talking to uh, a prospect. Um, I'm beginning to see it that way because um, the sentence I want to hone in on here um, um, at the starting at the very bottom of 92, even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question, if he will. So to me, everything before that sentence um, in this chapter from 89 on is about identifying and connecting to the protege. Um, you know, they're at the bottom of 89, it says, don't start out as an evangelist or a reformer. Um, a little later, um, you know, in the bottom of 91, that paragraph about um, see your man alone and, and start to talk about your your symptoms um, and your drinking habits. Um, and then somewhere in there it says you should be um, uh, you should be described as one of a fellowship who has recovered. So um, a person who has recovered. So um, he or she is is knows that you have recovered, but is starting to connect and see. Um, uh, the disease in your history with the disease, and that's about it for now. Um, and then the, the early the paragraphs just before this paragraph about I'm really stressing the hopeless feature and what people um, you guys have been saying about um, you know uh, letting them be really scared about their own condition and really identifying. Um, and now um, that if the curiosity is there. Uh, that they believe that you were once like they are um, and they see that you are not. Um, and that sentence on 93, let him ask you that question about, um, how, about how you got well. And I have to say, I don't think I have ever done that really well. I think I have always jumped to, let me tell you, you know, let me tell you how I got well. Let me tell you about this program. Um, but uh, I think that's really critical to let them ask. Um, and then once they ask, this, the whole focus of this chapter changes. Now it's all about spirituality. Now it's all about laying out the program of action and describing. Um, and even in the same paragraph, after they ask, you can tell them that they need to be willing uh, to believe in a power greater than, than themselves. Um, and I'm, I'm really struck by this, and I want to um, start doing this better. Um, and and and, uh, yeah, my timer is about to go off, too. Thank you, Janice. And well, thank, thank you so much, Carolyn S.H. Okay, we do have um, about five more minutes. Who, whom else would like to share? This is Santa. Santa. And, I, and there was somebody else. Who was that? Kathy K. Oh, and Kathy K. Yeah, so let's go with those two. Santa H., please, it's your turn. Good morning, everybody. Hi, my name is Santa H., a grateful Recover Compulsive Overeater for today. Um, thank you, everyone who shared, and I've been listening intently to all the comments that were shared today. Thank you so much. And I just want to just tap in and share my experiences here. Um, I, my experience is a little different spin for me, you know, my, my own personal experiences. I'm just grateful that um, I, I, I was cradled and birthed into the room of OA through a vision for you. 
And so Vision for You does an awesome job in sharing the message of, of the allergy. And so for me, I don't have much experience on newcomers, people coming to me and me having to um, stress the, the disease portion. What I find that has worked for me is that I like for them to tell their story. And I let them tell their story because they need to hear their story, um, not really hear my story. And if they ask me questions, if you will, then I freely shared in what my story is. And I have found for me that um, that has kept me from not prophetizing and convincing anyone uh, or putting any fear tactics in them about the food. And I stress so, so um remarkably the spiritual features that I have to sometimes remember that I am in a food program because I spend so much time on the spirituality portion of this program because once you come to me, you ready to put the food down? Okay, let's get into the work. And that's just the way um, I was guided and that's just the way that works for me. And I also want to emphasize and talk about this whole section here about the main thing, be willing. And I love that word circle, willing. Because when, when they're willing, then my ears perk up. That's when I'm ready to, to, um, to go further with, it, with a protege. And I, and I like what it says here, believe in a power. And I like to stop right there, a power. And I like to call it many words. I don't have just one word, but I just love the, the word the mystery or the totality of it all, whatever it is, just the power. And I always, and I find that works for me is that I work with the protégés that I do is that I let them know that this power is within you. You know, it's, it's a power greater than your finite self, a power greater than your ego-dominated personality self. But this power is within you. And I have found for me that approach has been so powerful and empowering those that have become recovered through working with me. But the whole idea is that you're living by spiritual principles, which was stated earlier by the reader. And the spiritual principles are the universal laws, which is the 12 steps that governs us all. And I just want to just put that out there, my little two cents. And again, thank you for allowing me to do service. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Santa H. Okay, Kathy Kay, you've got a couple of minutes, dear. Thank you, Janice, for your service. Kathy Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater, uh, recovered today. And I, I've really valued everything I've heard this morning. And it, it took me to uh, a place of remembering where I was when I first started and was approached um, by a recovered person. Um, I, I was such a confirmed agnostic, if not atheist, that any talk of spiritual, um, just I just closed the door on it immediately. And so um, I remember that when I talk with newcomers today, that I really need to find out their prejudices and beliefs um, about God, about a higher power. Um, and I always, when I sense that there is um, resistance to the idea, I go back to what my first sponsor told me, which was this force greater than you can be... Um, it can be literature, it can be your home group, it can be um, nature, it can be anything outside of you um, that uh, opens your mind to considering 
other possibilities. Um, and that very broad conception is what enabled me to be willing to begin the work. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, that um, it is a good idea to find out uh, enough about the prospect to know whether speaking about spiritual principles using those words is going to be off-putting or inviting um, and to proceed from there. And with that, I guess. And thank you, Kathy Kay. And our time is up, and I wish to thank everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Santa H., please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. It'll be my pleasure, Janice. Hi, everybody, once again. My name is Santa H., a compulsive overeater, living in a solution one day at a time. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. And you shall be with, and we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>